As many Galatian saints journeyed down paths of sin and disbelief, Paul urged them to return and walk in the Spirit that they might receive of the fruit thereof. Who better to warn against the pains of this path than Paul? His was a discipleship molded by darkness, heartbreak, but ultimately, redemption. He profoundly understood the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. To walk in the Spirit to me means that you're making the choices that will allow you to have the companionship of the Spirit with you. I think walking in the Spirit means kind of like listening to the promptings you get from it and um, following through on those promptings and having it always with you. So that way when anything comes that you can be ready and prepared to act on it. I like the word walk because uh, walk indicates a journey. So walking in the spirit is the, uh, the journey you take for progression, uh, the journey you take to become more like your heavenly father and gain a greater uh, relationship with your heavenly father. I think there's a difference between walking in the Spirit and sitting in the Spirit. So when we go to church, we sit in the Spirit, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, but then we leave church, and it's like, now we have to actually live, and we have to do things, and we have to still try to keep the Spirit with us. So I think that walking in the Spirit is actually living your life and keeping the Spirit with you. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Gay Strathern. Dr. Strathern is an associate dean of religious education at BYU and has been a faculty member at the BYU Jerusalem Center. She has a PhD in religion with an emphasis on New Testament and Christian origins from Claremont Graduate University. Gay, welcome. Thanks, Ben. Great to be here. And next today is our special guest, Tom Waymond. Dr. Waymond is a professor of classics in the Department of Comparative Arts and Letters at BYU. He earned his PhD in New Testament Studies from Claremont Graduate University and has taught at BYU for the past 22 years. Much of his work engages the dynamics of early Christian networks as evidenced through literary and documentary papyri. Welcome, Tom. Hey, glad to be here. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Paul's epistles to the Galatians. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come, Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, if I walk in the Spirit, I will receive the fruit of the Spirit. And second, learning from Paul's path to discipleship. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Gay and Tom and footnotes. Gay, as we jump into our first topic, if I walk in the Spirit, I will receive the fruit of the Spirit. What sort of uh, background or context do we need to understand about the book of Galatians and how it pertains specifically to this first topic? Yeah. So Galatians is an interesting letter that Paul writes. Um, it is written, unlike some of his other epistles that were written to like the saints in Corinth or, or in Rome or something like that, this is specifically written to the churches, plural, in Galatia. Um, we think that these converts were Gentiles, 
but they seem to be Gentiles who have a, uh, already have some kind of affinity uh, with the law of Moses. So what Paul tells us is that there are some people after he and Barnabas have left who have come in and have stirred up. They're troubling the saints there. And uh, the issues that they're kind of doing is, number one, they're probably they're attacking Paul's authority as an apostle. Um, and then they're also uh, attacking the kinds of things that he's teaching. And particularly, there's this issue with the law of Moses. So they seem to be thinking you've got to live the law of Moses, that Gentiles should come into the church through Judaism. And Paul is going, yeah, no, mm. it's because of Jesus Christ. Tom, yeah. what can you add to this? Yeah, I, that's an excellent introduction to Galatians. And first of all, when you think of Galatians as a letter, we all know today when we see a text in all caps, but the person on the other side of it's pretty angry. This is written in all caps. Paul's very <laughs> frustrated. I don't think we should assume that Paul ever thought we would see this. This is a very, as, as Gay mentioned, this is a letter dealing with a problem. And so he's frustrated. His tone is like no other letter. And when we read that in English, we sometimes soften the language. We kind of think of this as, as pastoral. He, I think the very best word is he's frustrated. Mm -hmm. And I think by chapter three, he's not writing in all caps anymore. Yeah. But I would say chapter one and two, he, he really needs to set the record straight. It's his only letter. He doesn't say something nice at yep. the first. Yep. It, it misses what we call the doxology. And usually he says, and blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ and, and sharing in the faith of the saints in the city of so forth. This one, he jumps right into the problem. He's like, let me tell you what's wrong <laughs> and I'm gonna set the record straight. We've all written things in the heat of the moment. And a lot of times I think we want to reel things back later. We want to say, well, maybe I, I said that a little strong. There's a couple of places I think he maybe later softens. And even in this letter by the end, I think he softens a little bit of the tone trying to say, maybe we should walk in the spirit maybe not animated like I started this thing. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, our first topic is it's talking about walking in the spirit. And I'd like to jump in and and just focus on that specific phrase. Gay, where do we read that within uh, this letter to the Galatians and, and what does it mean? So if we go to chapter five, this is where Paul is talking a lot about uh, the spirit. And one of the things I think he's doing here is trying to help the people, his opponents are saying the best way to live is to have the law, follow the law. And so they're upset that Paul seems to be saying, no, don't worry about the law. And they're thinking, whoa, this is going to bring anarchy. If we don't have rules, we don't have mm -hmm. things to do, what's going to happen? And Paul's response is, um, if we use the liberty um, that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't, he usually talked in general principles without giving specifics of how you live this. So Paul talks about that in terms of liberty. And he says, so if we've got this liberty now to interpret what Jesus taught, one of the ways that will help us do that is to follow the spirit. So if we look in chapter five, um, verse 16, we have this, he mentions it twice. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, and then if we go to verse 25, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. So as you look at this invitation from Paul to walk in the spirit, I'd love to hear from, from the audience. How do you use the spirit to help you make good choices? Hosanna. Well, I think of choice and consequences. So when I walk with the Spirit, um, when I follow the Spirit, I think, is this going to bring me good 
consequences. What am I planting in here? And the Spirit, as I walk with it, helps me make that decision so I can have good consequences. And Hosanna, the Spirit speaks to us in a lot of different ways. How specifically does it speak to you so that you know that you're walking the right path? To me, I the Spirit talks to me through other people, like today. Um, I've been learning from you questions. I came here with questions, and I've been having I, the questions been answered because of the Spirit through you. You know, and, and this is what Paul is really trying to help the saints, the Galatians, understand is how to feel and recognize the Spirit. And what's interesting is if we go to verse 18, uh, I wanted to ask you both about this idea that if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. That seems to be, that can be tough to understand, especially those that are coming from living the law of Moses. What is Paul really trying to teach about the Spirit and how we can use it in our everyday lives. In verse 18, this word, but if you are led um, by the Spirit, you are not under the law, just using this uh, this modern translation, that word led can be a, a word used to describe being led that animals are led, and in a sense that it has a very direct pull, something almost attached to a leash or a yoke. Here's some things showing you're being led in one way, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, contention, jealousy, anger, etc. And then he has this, this fruits of the Spirit that show you're being led the other way. And I, I love these words, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, this, this very much a kindness coming out. So that to me says if my life is being led into kind acts, I could say the Spirit is directing me in that way. And I think it's important there to understand. Sometimes we read 22 and think, uh, if I'm feeling the Spirit, these are the ways that I'll feel it. But in this context here, Paul is saying, if you are filled with the Spirit, this is the kind of ways that you will live, right? These will be the characteristics in your life that people will see. So this idea, again, of the Spirit, the effects of um, getting the Spirit is that as a person, I'm going to love more de deeply and I'm going to love as God loves. Um, the fruits of this that people will see is I'm going to be happy. It's going to bring joy to my life. There's going to be peace, um, long suffering and all of those that, that Tom has mentioned. But here's the, the, um, the, the, the actions. It's not the feelings that Paul is trying to emphasize here. It's the actions. This is a great point that, that Gay's made. And I want to add something that maybe expands it a bit. In Galatians 2, 16, there's, a, there's an interesting translation question here. Here's the verse. 16 reads, yet you know that a person is not made righteous by works of the law. So touching on some of the things that Gay said, but through the faith of Jesus Christ. See, that can mean two things. Yep. It can actually mean the faith Jesus Christ had as a human, him as an example of faith, not the teachings, not all of this, this this kind of guidelines Paul is has given us, he could be saying Jesus Christ's personal belief. Or the other way to translate it is our faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that, that two-letter word, in or of, makes a huge yeah, difference. Absolutely. So I have faith in Jesus Christ. I really want to know what the faith of Jesus Christ looks like. Yeah. And as Gay mentioned earlier, this is a person who taught in parables, who taught in moral principles and, and broad picture. So that, that's, who his, that's where his faith is demonstrated. What are 
the fruits of the Spirit that we, we read about in, in a lot of different places throughout the Scriptures, but specifically what Paul is trying to teach, what are those fruits that he mentions? Yeah, to, to maybe we can turn for a moment to Galatians 5 and verse 19. And I'll start just a little bit earlier, Ben. Um, to give a little bit of background, I, I work in ancient graffiti, and I, I, we look at walls and the things that people wrote in antiquity. And one of the things that I can say based on that is Paul's list of the works of the flesh are represented in the graffiti, that people wrote these you know, really wow. awful things, really kind of rough, terrible things that we see in modern graffiti. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same, but when he says this, this is verse 19, the works of the flesh are clear, um, colon, sexual impropriety, uncleanness, lust, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, contention, jealousy, anger, dissension, factions, and we don't necessarily need to read all of them. But that, that's the vice of the graffiti. That's everyday life that people see this, they see contention. And Paul says, I think what he's saying, this is my personal view, is that the Christian is opposite this world. They're opposite all of this anger, all of this contention, all of this expressed lust that's written on a wall. And, and so these words, I think, are written, the fruit of the Spirit, are written in exact opposite of what the world of, of Rome, the Roman world appreciates. And so he uses a word charity, which could also be translated as love, joy, peace, patience. I, and I can't tell you how little of patience is appreciated in the ancient world. Kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, people are going to feel a complete reversal of society's expectations. This is new. How do you worship somebody who's patient and kind? We worship people who conquer. Can I just jump in there too? As I read this and uh, try and make this applicable to my life, I mean, I hope that I am learning and it, it it's it's a journey. It's, it, this is not something that happens over, overnight. But if I'm really honest with myself, there are things that I struggle with, right? That's in this other list. Uh, discord and strife. We, we, we don't have to look far to see on the public stage and the public forum how we see this coming up um, in things. Uh, jealousy. Uh, do I get angry sometimes? And I think the answer to that is yes, unfortunately, <laughs> right? But the idea that Paul is saying here, when he's talking about the fruits of the Spirit, he's setting up what's the goal, where are the goalposts, right? This is where if we're choosing to follow Christ and if we're trying to make the world a little bit better, then this is where we want to go, knowing though that it's going to take some time for us to get there. This doesn't, isn't going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight for us. And from what Tom's saying here, we're seeing this, maybe Paul himself is struggling with the ideal that he's talking about here and the, 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 the here and now reality of how, where we live. The other thing I think, and I, I love how Gay brings it personal, and, and I, I'd like to bring that in too, but I'd like to make it for a moment personal about Paul. He started this letter angry. And these words, jealousy, dissension, and faction, that's exactly what happened at the start mm-hmm. of this letter. And you wonder if he's saying a little bit, uh, Maybe I shouldn't have started that way. Maybe maybe I should tone it down. Maybe go back and not do all caps or something that way. As Paul is almost like he's experiencing this for himself, the fruits of the Spirit, as he's writing this letter. Uh, to put a modern uh, take on it, President Ezra Chap Benson has a wonderful quote talking about what the Spirit can do. Some of the, the evidence, some of these fruits that it brings into our lives. 
He said, the Holy Ghost causes our feelings to be more tender. We feel more charitable and compassionate with each other. We are more calm in our relationships. We have a greater capacity to love each other. People want to be around us because our very countenances radiate the influence of the Spirit. We are more godly in our character. As a result, we are more sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Ghost and thus able to comprehend spiritual things. And this is what we're talking about. You know, walking in the Spirit produces these fruits that Paul talks about, that President Benson talks about. And I, I can't wait to talk more about this in the footnotes. We'll dive in a little deeper and discuss more of these things. But I just want to thank both of you for your contributions on this first discussion topic. And for the audience, thank you so much for sharing with us as well. And to the viewers at home, what are the fruits you have seen in your efforts to walk in the Spirit? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. I think God intervened in Paul's life because he knew who he was, and not just who he was, but the potential that he had. I think the Lord saw like his potential and saw his talents and strengths and was like, man, if we can just redirect this a little bit, I can use you in some amazing ways. Heavenly Father had a big plan for him, and um, he couldn't just let it happen by chance, so to speak. He needed um, Paul to bring others to him, and so he needed him to come to the truth. Paul's story gives me hope because it shows that God won't give up on us no matter what we've done in the past. Paul's life teaches me that real people can be saved, and it's not a straight pathway. It has bumps and ups and downs, and in the end, I think Paul would say it was worth it. The second topic we're going to discuss today is learning from Paul's path to discipleship. So I think as we dive into this second topic of learning about Paul's path to his discipleship, I think it's it, it would be beneficial to learn about Paul himself, a little bit about his background so that we can better understand how what took him down this path. Gabe, do you mind giving us a little uh, historical context on Paul? Sure. These first two chapters in Galatians in particular are deeply autobiographical. We see a side of Paul that we don't see for the most part in his other epistles. So as we open up Galatians chapter one, uh, we get something interesting here. Uh, in, as Paul gives his introduction, he says, Paul, an apostle, he doesn't often do that or uh, before this, he hasn't done that very often. But then he goes on to say, I'm an, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So this is probably giving us one of those kind of little signposts and saying, whoa, something's going on here. And this is probably our first um, clue that some of the people in Galatia are questioning his authority. Mm. Um, and so chapter one is a response uh, to that where he's, I mean, we can go over to uh, verse 11, um, but I certify you brethren that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is him saying, I have authority and it's not come through the normal channels, but it has come from Jesus Christ. And one thing I, I might add to, to fill that out a little bit, but one thing that's interesting about Paul, if you compare him to all other writers in the New Testament, he is really the only person who shares his personal thoughts. Now, Jesus will use I, and he'll speak in the first person singular, but Paul tells you about what's going on here. 
So as you as you've studied uh, Tom, the life of Paul, and if you worked on this, you know this modern translation to be better understood. What are some of the things that have personally connected with you from Paul and his life? And when I read Paul and and me understanding the arc of his life in my own perspective, he begins over the course of his life to be very brash and very you know angry and and very visceral, and he's mm-hmm. writing in ways that I think if you were at your pulpit in your ward, you'd say, okay, tone it down just a little <laughs> bit. And then he he becomes more reflective. And when we get to Romans, he's elegant mm-hmm. and he's he's so well-spoken. And then he gets to Philippians, one of these very last letters, and he's sorrowful. And I I see an arc of a life that patterns some of my own, that, that I, I've been brash, I've been short-sighted. I've said things that I wish I hadn't. And then later, I, I see myself saying, I could do a little better. I Maybe I'm never going to write anything like Romans. But one thing I did and committed my life to was translating the New Testament because I appreciate this story so much. The arc of this man's life means something to me. And he did some wonderful things to know where he came from and what he overcame to, to be able to to become an amazing missionary and someone who preached so um, powerfully of Jesus Christ. It's pretty, it's pretty comforting to know where he came from and where he ended up. And I'll, I'll add one thing, and Gay, I'd love to hear your opinion uh, to follow up on this. His name, Paul, means the little guy. Yeah. It means stubby. And so he carries around this, this <laughs> burden. Here's a person who's, it's on his mind. I, I was a really bad person. I persecuted people. I'm the little guy. And then you see him saying, I'm the least apostle. There's some pun in that, right? I'm the little guy who's the least. So yeah, (laughs) we would have assumed that. Mm -hmm. So in in chapter one again, um, he says in verses 13 and 14, for ye have heard of my conversation or conversion in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church and it says he wasted it, but tried to destroy the church. And then he says, uh, and, and I profited of the Jewish religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So Paul is also struggling with this. I tried very hard to live the law of Moses and to have the experience. And I've done it as good as anybody, but it hasn't done what, what has happened in the same way as this revelation from Jesus Christ. Um, and so his calling here, here he's, he's verse 15, he's kind of giving a, a nod to, to Jeremiah. Uh, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I didn't go and try and find, get my authority from humans or a human way of doing it because this revelation was so profound for me. But even with that, I think Tom is absolutely right here in saying even with that kind of revelation, he still, his discipleship, he has struggles and uh, he has struggles with people and uh, he has struggles within himself. And the fact that Paul was able to overcome so many struggles, like you said earlier, Tom, this is something that is so relatable to so many people that we can connect with him knowing that we, as we go through struggles, that we can overcome these. Yeah, I, one thing, too, that Paul is really helpful to me in, in, in this word that he, he has at the very beginning of the letter, as Gay pointed out, Paul an apostle, so he's using this term. And his audience would have heard missionary, 
and and we hear it as a as a title in in a priesthood title. But then, as she pointed out, and I, I don't want this to go by unnoticed, he quotes Jeremiah one five, or at least alludes to it, and he's beginning to think, "Who am I? Am I a missionary, or am I called to something special?" And then this this nuance I want you to see: someone so weak. Later in Galatians, he'll actually mention being embarrassed by his own physical presence. There's something about his physical appearance. I believe it's his eyes. Something's happened to his eyes based on something that he says there. But there's this idea, I'm an embarrassment. I mean, when you look at me, he he wants to shrink down. Mm. And he said, God revealed his son in that. And that's where he's finding the, the depth to lift this community, I think. And so one of the things that he says to the Galatians is, when I was with you that first time, I had this this physical ailment, what it was, yeah. but, but you didn't hold that against me then, but something's happened now and people are maybe bringing this up. He wasn't as eloquent or he wasn't the great teacher that we thought he was or whatever it is, but now you're bringing it up and that, that, that I think hurts him. Yeah, yeah. And to add, even following one more verse here in chapter four, verse 20, he, he longs to be with him. He says, I want to be with you. And here's this thing I've been kind of hitting on and change my tone. So you, you see it. Here's, a, here's mm-hmm. a leader of the church saying, I need to change my tenor, the, the weight I'm bringing. And as we talked about in the first topic, this Paul credits the Spirit to, to this change. As, as we walk in the Spirit, we will receive the fruits of the Spirit, that softening that he talks about. I, I would love to go to the audience and hear how has the Spirit helped you overcome some of your struggles on your path of discipleship? Cassie. Yeah, um, I ride horses, and I think of it a little bit like that. Um, when you're on a horse and um, you nudge the reins one direction or another, um, in that situation, I'm the horse, and I have to feel and listen for those nudges in which direction I need to go. And then the more that I listen, the better I get at feeling and hearing that. And how does that feeling or what does that look like to you as you try to decipher, you know, the way the Holy Ghost speaks to you as an individual? I think that the way the Holy Ghost speaks to me as an individual is that um, a lot through other people, right? Something that they might say to me or something that I read in the scriptures or something that I pray about. Thank you, Cassie, for sharing that. As we try to learn from Paul's uh, specific experience and on his path to discipleship. What are some of your thoughts as we now transition into talking about learning from him as we try to navigate our own uh, path of discipleship? I think one thing I'd like to capture is this word liberty. Um, it it can mean a lot in today's world, and I want to divest it of its Paul modern. Paul talks a lot about that. This he liberty, does. freedom. And, and he lives in a world where he's marked his obedience by certain performances. Um, he has been very good at being Jewish, and he's observed all of the laws of Judaism, and no one should ever suggest that Paul was not obedient. And now he comes into being a Christian, and he's spoken to personally, so he, he divests some, some of his focus away from the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, and he's now required to look at something else. He's required to look in, and that freedom is going to feel loose to him. It's going to feel unbounded. It's going to feel foreign to him because in his old life, he knew what to do. Mm-hmm. And in his new life, just like all of us, he has to feel. 
He has to think, he has to pray, he has to not have answers to find answers. And I think that's a really powerful way just to capture this change for him. You know, and something that uh, we have talked about with Paul on his own personal path to discipleship is it, it's, it's all about discovery and, and it's a process for him to try to, to navigate and, and figure out how he's doing. He's continually learning about himself and who he really is. And we had a, a question that came in from one of our viewers that relates to this as we are on our own path to discipleship. And I would love to, to get some of your thoughts on it. Hi, my name is Tori and I'm from Utah. As I'm reading, I'm wondering what defines a disciple and how can I know that I'm on the right path to becoming one? I, I love that question. The definition of, of a disciple and how do you know if you're on that path to becoming one? Gay, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts? Well, the word in the New Testament for disciple is mathetes, and mathetes can be uh, translated as a student as well. Um, and I, I really like that connotation, but it's, it's not always in the same way as we think of what it means to be a student. In, in antiquity, a student was somebody who studied with a master teacher, right? Now you think about that, a master teacher, we know sometimes we don't use it very much, but if we talk about a master plumber or a master carpenter, there's somebody is, there are people who are carpenters, but a master carpenter has, has gone to another level. And so um, to be a disciple is to study with one of these master teachers, not for four years or five years that we think of in terms of education, but until one becomes the master teacher. So when I'm thinking about uh, what is a disciple, it is somebody who is continuing to learn. Um, about uh, Jesus Christ and what he teaches and how I can learn to be like him. But this is a journey that goes over a, a lifetime. So for me, the, the real issue is, am I continuing to learn? You're not checking boxes. You're actually becoming something better. President Nelson has a, a wonderful definition that can help us know if we were on that path uh, to discipleship. He said, true disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out, speak up, and be different from the people of the world. They are undaunted, devoted, and courageous. There's nothing easy or automatic about becoming such powerful disciples. Our focus must be riveted on the Savior and His gospel. It is mentally rigorous to strive to look unto Him in every thought. But when we do, our doubts and fears flee. So as we look at Paul, what evidence do we have that Paul truly has become a disciple of Jesus Christ. One thing I would answer, and I want to be clear, I'm answering on the cuff, so I, okay. this isn't something <laughs> I'm really prepared for. But if I look at it in my own personal journey, I think it's later the love he shares across mm -hmm. all audiences. And, and Philippians, to me, is the arrival point. He, he takes his whole life, and the King James Version will use that, that wording in chapter 2, I count all of my previous life as dung, for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to know Jesus Christ. And to me, that represents mm -hmm. his arrival point, that, that, he's, that he's found a balance in saying, I can assess my old life and move on to something greater and see value in that. But he also kind of acknowledges from that, he says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. So I'm pressing forward. I'm still working at it. The very definition of learner, yeah. mm -hmm. right? I, so he asserts, I'm still a disciple. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice pickup. 
Well, I feel like we're just barely getting started with this discussion in Galatians, and I'm excited to pick this up in the footnotes portion of the show. But thank you so much for your comments uh, thus far. And for the audience, you've been wonderful. Thanks for being here and sharing with us of your experience and the spirit you carry with you. And for those at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes, so please stay with us. Something that stood out to me um, in this discussion has been that um, I need to work on getting the fruits of the Spirit um, more, especially patience, because I'm not a very patient person. And it was just kind of like a, a learning moment for me that um, I can work on getting the fruits of the Spirit by walking in the Spirit and having it with me. My biggest takeaway was that all of us, all of us here on Earth, have an opportunity for progression. And it doesn't matter where we start on the timeline of progression, we all have that opportunity to go. And it, I mean, it literally doesn't matter where we start, it's the direction that, that we take it. And we have the opportunity to take it either direction. Um, and hopefully we're, we're taking it in a direction where we're gaining a, a better relationship with our Heavenly Father. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about the Epistle to the Galatians with Gay and Tom. We had some really good conversations uh, in the previous portion of the show, and I'd like to jump back into some of these uh, these verses that we touched on. Gay, do you want to lead us out and, and uh, kind of walk us through some of these things? Okay, so why don't we return to Galatians chapter 1. Um, we've already talked about some of the experiences that Paul was talking about as he was thinking about what his message was that he was giving. We come down to verse 17, and he's saying, after this revelation of Jesus, uh, he didn't immediately go up to Jerusalem to see uh, the apostles or to get his authority from them. In, in fact, he went off to Arabia for three years, and it's only after three years that he comes back to Jerusalem. And then in verse 18, uh, he says, then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to see Peter. And the word there in Greek is to, to get the history from Peter. Again, he's trying to, to I, I didn't come here to get the authority, but I do want to learn from Peter because mm -hmm. Peter's had some experience and he's going to sp spend 15 days with him. So I'm sure they're discussing lots of fun things and getting <laughs> to know Peter's experiences with Jesus. But he's very clear. I didn't go to see the apostles as a whole and I didn't see anybody else. Well, except for I saw James, the Lord's brother. Why does he feel it's necessary to, to mention that, to point that out? Well, because I think people are attacking his his authority, right? Okay. And, and it may be. So in Acts, it kind of talks about when they're going to fill the vacancy in the Quorum of the Twelve. They talk about uh, what are the qualifications for somebody they can consider, and they come up with two. They must have been with us from the beginning, and they must be a witness of his resurrection. Well, maybe some people are saying, yeah, but Paul, you didn't, mm -hmm. you weren't there from the beginning. Do you think some of uh, his previous behavior and persecuting uh, the disciples had a, a little bit to do with how he was treated? I certainly think so. I, I certainly think there's this issue, don't show your face in Jerusalem. Oh, okay. I mean, that's where he's been. It, it, it's a little bit here in the text. He says uh, in verse 21, then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia or Cilicia, but I was not known by sight in the churches of Christ 
which were that were in Judea. So I, I didn't go there. And and I think Gay's right to say, you know, there there's this issue. You've had a revelation and people are challenging your authority. And we have to underline the fact the revelation didn't give Paul everything he needed. Yeah. So this historical tour, you go to Jerusalem, as as Gay said, the verb is I was interviewing. It's like he's the reporter now. Okay, okay. I know Jesus is the Christ. I have no idea what he taught. And the fact that he goes to Peter, but also to James, right, the Lord's brother, because I'm sure that there is some stuff that James could help him mm -hmm. out with that maybe even Peter wasn't um, fully familiar with in terms of the overall life of Jesus. Yeah. So how's he received? How does this visit go uh, with Peter? Do we have evidence of, of what took place? And, and what, do we, what can we learn from that? I think initially Paul goes in with a bit of a head of steam and he starts to use some language that catches my attention. Um, this is chapter 2, verse 6, and I'll read from this modern translation. But from those who were prominent, and then this phrase, whatever they were makes no difference to me. And so, yeah, maybe you don't say it that way. He says it again in verse 9, and when Jacob, and your translation will yeah. have James, but yep. that his real uh -huh. name is Jacob. When Jacob, Cephas, and John perceived the grace that had been given to me, and then they seem to be the pillars. And it's kind of strange to, as a modern reader to say, you went to Jerusalem, you met the pillars of the church, and you came away with this, they seem to be. And so, so I feel like there's a little bit of, you know, okay, I'm going down, I'm going to set things straight, mm -hmm. I've got it, I've had the revelation. And uh, he probably encounters, well, Peter's had revelation, James and others have seen things yeah. and felt things. Okay. Now, I want to kind of go back even a little bit further than what Tom did and look at the start of chapter two, um, because then he's saying, okay, so eventually I am going to go to, I did go to Jerusalem. It's 14 years after, um, and we don't know what the after is. It's after his conversion or after his experience, his first trip to Jerusalem. It's a little bit more ambiguous. Um, and he says, I, I took Titus with me also. What we think may be happening here is that in Galatians chapter two, we're having Paul's version of um, the Jerusalem council that we get in Acts 15. Um, and there, so there are some things that are unique to this one that we don't get in, in Acts 15. So one of the things is that he notes that he goes up with Barnabas and he takes Titus with him. Uh, but, but he says in verse three, but neither Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised, right? So uh, in Acts, Paul is going to circumcise Timothy, but mm -hmm. he doesn't do Titus here. And I think that Titus then be kind of becomes his poster child of what's possible, coming to Jerusalem saying, look, here's a Gentile. He's not living the law of Moses as there are some people who are thinking. And look at him. You can see him. Um, and he becomes this example. Um, one of the other things that we find here that we don't get in Acts is that there seems to have been, as a result of this, this kind of this lit in missions. Mm -hmm. We're talking about there's going to be a mission to the Jews of which Peter seems to have stewardship responsibility. And then there's going to be another mission to the Gentiles that Paul and Barnabas have, have um, responsibility. So it's in that context, uh, verse nine. So when James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars, I think that there's another way of translating that. The Greek word is dokeo. And so it could also mean who are recognized as the pillars, mm -hmm. right? So there's some different ways we can look at what's happening here. 
following up on that, so we've kind of given the extremes. Like, could it be skeptical? They seem like they're in charge. Yeah. Or can they be uh, affirming? Is it, you know, acknowledged? But he also has he also has Titus there as the showcase. Yeah. Like, here here's where the Gentile mission is going. And I, I think he expects, I believe, based on the next story, that he expects this, this it's just going to go his way. And in the next story is, it didn't. Yeah. And he shares that. It's very personal. He he has an event in Antioch where Peter had apparently eaten dinner with Gentiles. And there is no commandment that Jewish men who are ethnically Jewish cannot eat with Gentiles, but the food becomes a question. So if they're eating things that are unclean or, or not according to you know kosher standards, if we use that word, um, Peter would feel uncomfortable or would have to leave. And so Paul's version of the story is Peter was fine to eat with Gentiles as long as no one was around. But the minute the Jerusalem authorities come, Peter gets up and leaves. And I believe Paul thought it unraveled his Titus success. In the context here of uh, these two missions um, and Peter having responsibility for the Jewish mission, I wonder whether these people from James coming is saying, okay, I've got responsibility. Do I need to, to worry about them? Maybe I, you know, my stewardship is I need to uh, be uh, more uh, aware of their concerns um, and things like that. But Paul is taking it as an affront. Yeah, in yeah. fact, I, I, I struggled with what to say in, for the Greek words here to describe Peter's actions. So this yeah. is the way I did it at the end of 12. He drew back and recused himself, yeah. fearing those of the circumcision. So it's a, a sufficiently ambiguous, but then there's this word in the next verse that catches my attention. Yeah. And the remaining Jews were also caught up in this hypocrisy. Yep, yep. they played the like, hypocrite, yeah. Yeah, and he, he just really nails Peter to the yeah. wall. Yeah. I, I could genuinely see Peter saying, that's not really what happened. And as Gay said, the verb could be like, this is the beginning moment that it started to happen. You know, Paul's putting a lot of emphasis, but Peter could have said, it's been going on for a long time. It was time for me to move to the Jewish mission, et cetera. It's not quite what you think, yeah. but I think it comes down to Titus. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've succeeded. I think he wants all of Jerusalem to see this. And it doesn't quite go that way. So I, I love hearing both of your interpretations uh, and your takeaways from this experience with Paul and Peter. What are some of the values and benefits of, of having the flexibility to, to read something that is not necessarily concrete and but but to be able to um, view it from different perspectives and and take away certain things from each of those perspectives. Well, I think you know whenever you're dealing with an ancient text, we have such limited resources <laughs> to understand what's going on, right? So we do the best that we can in terms of learning what the history and the culture and the social events are to try and give us context for what's going in. But whenever you translate any language, there is very rarely this one and only one way to translate okay. it. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I work a lot in, in ancient language almost every day in the classroom. And it's, it's surprising to me when I hear conversations that have a lot of rigidity about this is what it means. And, mm -hmm. and when you pivot something, this will be fascinating for some people to hear. When you compare something Paul said in, say, Romans to something said in the Gospels and say these interpret them, these are two very different speakers. Um, Jesus probably didn't speak any Greek, and he's being reported in Greek. And so you have your first level of nuance and interpretation. And then Paul has never seen the Gospels, and he's quoting, you know, he, he's talking in his own world in a very kind of regular language. And 
I think it just breeds a, mm -hmm. a, a kind of flexibility to say, I'm part of their journey and I, I want to participate and, and, and appreciate, try to get the most I can. You know, I think about even in the ways in which I communicate today, you know, if I'm going to send a text to somebody, so many times I'll, I'll write it and then I'll, and I'll erase it and I'll rewrite it because I want to make sure that the way that it is coming across in writing is what has how I'm really feeling. And so we can even see in modern language yeah. that there is still so much that is lost. And I like to go here to Philippians and yeah. then maybe over to Romans, but we've got this great experience here in Philippians chapter three, where Paul is again being autobiographical. Paul says, and be found in him, and he's talking about Christ, not having mine own righteousness. Now, again, what does the word justified mean? It means to be made righteous, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God through faith, right? So <clears throat> what does faith of Christ look like? I think the modern mind wants to see Christ born, and at the earliest moment possible, he saw the resurrection. And there's this artwork that kind of alludes to, as a young boy, he sees two cro uh, sticks crossed as he passes by. It's like a, well, that's where I'm headed. And that's nice, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but what I am saying is Galatians raises the possibility that Peter and Jacob, in describing the life of Jesus to Paul, led Paul to see that Jesus had faith. Yeah, mm -hmm. and maybe didn't know, and I, I know that really, you, you know, you raise this this question, Ben. What does that do to us theologically? Well, it says some things were known to him, and maybe some okay. things were yeah. not. So, is there anything in the translation that would suggest that there is a differentiation between faith and faithfulness? Kind of like a like the verb versus or the noun versus an abstract noun. Yeah. Faithfulness. I think you could get very close to that if you're thinking in terms of would the gifts of the spirit would Paul have clustered them and say those are representative of faithfulness? Okay. And I can see him saying that. Mm -hmm. um, Paul's more focused on examples. This is new to him, and so he's more inclined to not simplify where we might want to, but he, it's so new, I think he wants to say, here's all the evidences of a life in the Spirit. And, and so maybe faithfulness would be the general umbrella yeah, term. Yeah. What else from what we've been studying in Galatians do we want to either introduce or revisit? I'd love to introduce a, something that I'm always fascinated with in Galatians. Um, Paul's personal moment, this is Galatians 4 verse 12. We call this the thorn in the flesh, and what's very clear, regardless of any personal view on it, Paul has experienced an obstacle physically that is challenging his missionary work. And it might be an illness, you know, it might be a lot of things. There's a lot of speculation, but I think a couple clues in this letter give a pretty good idea. I beg you, become as I am, for I have become even as you are, brothers and sisters. You've done me no wrong. You know that through a physical illness, I proclaimed the gospel to you at first. And although my physical ailment was a test to you, it's fascinating, you know, this is a trial for you looking at me, <laughs> you did not despise or reject me, but you received wow. me as an angel of God, as, Jesus, as Christ Jesus. Therefore, where is your feeling of blessedness? For I testify that if it were possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. It's, it's like wow. this, yeah. wow, you're, you're looking at me and he says, you didn't reject me, you didn't despise me, you accepted me as a messenger of Jesus Christ, and you would have given me your eyes. And I, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, 
who knows, but I think it's physically visible. Mm-hmm. There's one other clue in this letter, and then I'd love to hear Gay, you know, kind of react to this. Um, this is chapter 6, verse 11. He's talking about writing this letter, and he says, look what large letters I write yeah. to you with my own hand. He's saying, when I write, it's big font. Yeah. And, yep. and that's notable. When you think about, you know, an ancient papyrus, it's, it's like a modern size 10 font. And so it's very small. And he's saying, when I write, I go up to size 18 font or something. And it's noticeable. And that's again, suggests there's some scene problem for him. And he's a bit shy about it. I don't know what you take about it. No, I think that that's a a good reading of it. I mean, if we can also take, and this is, again, it's not Paul's stuff, but in Acts, we have uh, something known as the we passages where Luke is going along and he says, they were doing this, they were doing this, and then we did this. And so uh, it seems that scholars look at this and saying, well, Luke has um, joined uh, Paul on his missionary endeavors. And the question is, why is Luke doing that? We learn that he's a physician of some kind. Is this some way of helping him with this um, ailment, this or... ailment or this thorn in the flesh. Again, that's that's speculation um, at its best, but is that a possibility too that on his mission he's needing some help here because of this this affliction of whatever it is? So so what's the connection? Um, as we you know as we wrap up this discussion, what's the ta- what's one takeaway that you would say as a viewer, as someone who wants to really, uh, dive into studying the book of Galatians, uh, what can we expect to, to gain or walk away from a study of this book? I've just thought about our discussion earlier about the life of the Spirit and what the Spirit can do as it transforms us to the extent that we allow it. Um, but I'm always taken by this idea that it's it's in some ways, it's easy to say, I don't need the law, I'll just follow the Spirit. Mm-hmm. But I think that that's a really hard thing to do. Absolutely. It assumes a kind of a certain amount of maturity in our spiritual mm-hmm. journey. It assumes that we are confident in our ability to read the promptings of the Spirit and have also have the confidence to, um, to act upon them. And, and I don't know about anybody else, but I'm, that's, that's still a struggle mm-hmm. for me. Is this what God is telling me or is this, and I look for other things um, and, and reasons. But I, I've been impressed with something that Sister Julie B. Beck said a number of years ago. And, uh, and I think it fits in very nicely here with this, the, the spirit life that we said. She says, the ability to qualify for, receive, and act on personal revelation is the single most important skill that, that can be acquired in this life. Right? Again, that's telling me that this is something that I have to work on. This mm-hmm. doesn't come passively. And then she goes on at another time and says, we need to be the ones seeking every day to qualify for the Spirit, to recognize the voice of the Spirit, and to follow the voice of the Spirit because other voices will lead us in very different ways. If I'm thinking here about um, what I'm learning from Paul is where am I turning to for the answers to my question? Okay, Tom, you have the last word. I kind of view Paul as as Paul as the leader of the of the early Christian riffraff and rabble rousers. And one thing that happens when you read it in a cultural context, many of the early disciples, if not all, after the gospel period, have slave names. Mm. 
and he begins to note notable women. And so we, we find in Corinthians, mm-hmm. he, he, what he's doing is socially subversive. He's taking common slaves, and these people are oppressed in, in every way. They're bought and owned by another person, women who can't own property in certain contexts, and they're becoming empowered. And he's causing a social tectonic shift by, by calling these men and women into positions like bishop or leader or elder. And what happens there now is you have potentials where you have a man who is in a home as a slave, and he's a deacon or a leader in the church, an elder in the church, and his master owns him. And he creates some really interesting things in the later Pauline corpus. I think he gives voice to women that we don't see in the Gospels as much. We see Chloe saying, I, I have some concerns about Corinth. And Paul writes the entire Corinthian correspondence based on the letter of a single woman in a branch that he is very fond of in a, in a very professional mm-hmm. sense. He appreciates her. And so what I would say that I take away, and I think it's a value for our day, it's a story of empowerment. Paul is empowered as the weakest of the Christians. And he, he, he lists all of the people that see Jesus. And then he says, that's me at the end. And you know, that's really sad, right? Yeah. I'm the last guy. And then in his letters, he addresses these people named Lucky and the Greek. You know, they, these are common slave names. And, and so I feel like what Christianity do, did is say, there are people that the margin on the margins that God cares about. And that that is in life changing mm-hmm. for me. What a beautiful message. Thank you both. It's been great to get to know you, Tom, and and I'm super impressed with what you've been able to do and, and the work that you put into. It's it's an inspiration. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Absolutely. And Gay, thank you as always. It's so great to work with you and to to learn from you and just the feel of your goodness. And for those of you at home watching, thank you for joining us for this discussion from Galatians. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. Come follow up as a learning and teaching resource. For clips, insights, artwork, and additional materials, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Join us next week as we study and discuss the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, where we'll discuss our divine identity and the foundation of the Church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.